I'm Maria Hapfield. I am the newly appointed assistant professor of Indigenous Media Arts and Performance in the faculties of visual studies and English. That's fantastic. I don't think anyone's started off our podcast ever speaking a different language. This idea of artists and research really is something that I think is pretty new to the academic environment. When I first started teaching, I was at the Emily Carr University of Art and Design in Vancouver, BC. And so I was the first Indigenous hire there. It really was an art school that was then becoming a research institution. We don't really think of our practice when you're an artist as research in that kind of scientific method way. But we are engaged in research ongoing because whether it's investigating materials or ideas, it's absolutely there. There's a very certain amount of rigor that happens around it. And one of the things that I found actually helped me early on. I found that I had such a vast range of interests that I would look at it and I would think, does it look like the same person made these? Mm -hmm. So when I moved to New York, I really wanted to step back a little and really think about making a visual connection across how could I kind of guide people along. And one of the things that helps for me was just to think of it as a science experiment. So if I introduce too many variables, then... Um, how can I follow my own train of thought? So maybe if I'm working with industrial felt, I can work with that as a material and think about the material. And then I'm adding a jingle, so a sound to it, and then I'm wearing it. So how does my movement affect the sound? So I do one thing, and then next time I might do something a little bit more subtly different. Maybe next time my movements, my movement vocabulary stays the same, but then I'm working with a musician. This is the voice of one of U of T Mississauga's newest faculty members, Maria Hupfield. And as her opening quote might illustrate, she is a bit unique on a few fronts. She is U of T Mississauga's first Canada Research Chair in Transdisciplinary Indigenous Arts. She is a globally renowned Indigenous performance artist. She is coming to UTM hot off the heels of nearly a decade based in Brooklyn, New York, making her mark in art circles there. And she also happens to be returning to her alma mater, where she completed her own studies in art and art history at UTM in 1999. Over the course of this interview on View to the U, Maria talks about the power and impact of art, some of the projects she will be undertaking as part of her Canada Research Chair, or CRC, designation, how her innovative industrial felt creations have pioneered a closer connection between craft and art, and how youth have the potential to reinvigorate ideas and perspectives. Hello, and welcome to View to the U, an eye on UTM research. I'm Carla DeMarco at U of T, Mississauga. View to the U is a monthly podcast that will feature UTM faculty members from a range of disciplines who will illuminate some of the inner workings of the science labs and enlighten the social sciences and humanities hubs at UTM. Reimagining Research and Roots. Maria Hupfield is an assistant professor cross-appointed in the departments of Visual Studies and English and Drama at UTM. Prior to coming to UTM, Maria was based in the U.S., where she co-founded Native Art Department International with Jason Lujan. She was an assistant professor in visual art and material practice in the Faculty of Culture and Community at Emily Carr University of Art and Design from 2007 to 2011. 
and her art exhibitions have been seen throughout Canada and the United States, as well as Venice, Zurich, and Paris. Her areas of expertise include performance practice that references Anishinaabeg oral history and feminist performance history, native feminisms, and she works in a variety of media, including sculpture, video, and performance. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about your work and maybe what some of the uh, projects you'll be taking on as part of the CRC uh, designation, and also if you want to mention any particular collaborations that you might be working on. It's pretty exciting. I'm just starting out and I am running, doing all kinds of things, locating a studio, which we're calling the Indigenous Creation Studio here on campus that will function as a drop-in space, which really will be a kind of hub or basis where I'll be operating out of with some work-study students to begin to reach out to all kinds of people. So my own artistic process is very, I guess what we used to think of, or I used to think of as interdisciplinary, meaning that I was often collaborating with musicians, with language speakers, all sorts of, you know, whatever I was curious about. And now I'm looking at this term transdisciplinary, meaning as opposed to having stylos of research that are separate from each other that are working together, that we're eradicating that and we're all kind of have free movement and mobility across these areas. And I think that's super important for how I think of visual arts, how I think of my own research, that it really is something that's coming from living life, that you're in it, you're driven by your passions, and that that can cross over to so many things. That can be like biology, that can be looking at plants, that could be theater, storytelling, all kinds of a vast spectrum of things, history, writing. I'm glad that you explained the word transdisciplinary. I have heard that used quite a bit now and wasn't really sure about what the distinction was, as you say, with interdisciplinary. But I think that that makes more sense to me that there is that fluidity amongst the different disciplines, right? Yeah, absolutely. And even if I think about when I was studying fine arts as a student, that it was very discipline specific. So for example, you would be in sculpture or printmaking. And one of the great things about the Art and Art History program is that you get a foundation across a spectrum of different disciplines. I remember a student who was in printmaking and he was writing letters and printing them out on a, maybe it was a dot matrix printer or something. And so it was technically printing, right? So there would be a lot of space for experimentation. And I think that indigenous culture, indigenous art, material culture, all of those ideas that come around that indigenous knowledge are really, really embedded and connected with each other in a fundamental way that, you know, we're looking at an object that can be activated in ceremony. It can also be worn. It can also be, there might be a story with it. Um, someone might, there might be a song associated with it, another connection. And so for me, all the objects that we come in contact with in our lives operate in this way. I know that one of the things that I remember about your CRC application was the fact that there's going to be a community medicine garden on campus. Mm -hmm. And so I just wondered what you hope that space will be for either students, uh, maybe other researchers or people in the visual studies department. There's three components of my CRC. One is the Indigenous Creation Studio, which functions as an indoor site 
for making and collaboration. And then the Indigenous Medicine Garden. So initially, I was seeing this as a outdoor space where it could function as a classroom, events could take place there, and it really is based on the land and that there could be, we're looking at stewardship, stewardship with land. So initially calling it a medicine garden is looking at our own well-being, health and balance, but as part of the environment. So really taking part of this idea of education being within a classroom that's a, a white cube and then just opening that up and moving outside of that. So between two spaces. And then the third component is a living archive. So it would be a virtual space online. I'm still figuring out a lot of this. So even though I have these ideas, I am trying to avoid as much as possible coming in and just kind of being like, aha, this is what we're doing. Now I'm like landing and uh, it's more coming here, getting a sense of what this place is like, who is here. And already I'm just so happy with a lot of the work that's happening here, that there's already faculty who are and have been maintaining really good relations with the local community of the Mississauga Park Credit, who have been reaching out. There's an incredible water gathering this summer that I went to that had so many people who I've known from all over who were here in Arendelle Park. Yeah, I feel like this is a really good time to come in and build on what's happening. And then are you going to be working closely with Kat Krieger, the elder based at UTM? Yeah, so Kat is here and we have an interesting connection because his knowledge or cultural knowledge comes from a community, um, a family, the Jones, who are from Shawnee First Nation, which is actually the nation up the road from where I grew up. I know that family quite well and the late Roger Jones, who was his uh, mentor. So I think elders are in a unique position in institutions. It's a very privileged position. And I think there's a lot of outreach that I'll be looking to do to connect not only with Kat, but also the other elders that have been doing this work and called upon this work in education across U of T, downtown, Scarborough campus, as well as other faculty, Indigenous faculty. I was wondering what you're hoping to bring to UTM through your art and your scholarship. I think you've touched on some of this, but maybe if you could tease that out a little bit more. Well, I guess the first Indigenous faculty in my position. So one of the things I'm often drawn to are new initiatives. And so I feel like that's definitely something that's here. So pulling things together, looking long term, what might be happening here in terms of what that ongoing commitment is within education to Indigenous knowledge. Starting with, of course, for me, it will start with art, with material culture. It will start with making. It will start with people. Coming from a performance art background, it starts with the bodies and it starts with the people and goes out from there. I know that you're based in visual studies, but so then will they primarily be held, some of these events, at the Blackwood Gallery? Yeah, we'll see. I'm super excited to be working with Christine Shaw at the Blackwood. We actually worked together last year for the Hashtag Call Response exhibition that was at the Blackwood. I mean, that's one of the committees I am sitting on is with the gallery. Because I'm, in a sense, returning home, I'm coming back, moving back from Brooklyn, where I've been for nine years, and being from Ontario and having gone to school here in Toronto. And I'm from two and a half hours north of here, being an alumni of the program. One of the things about when you go away is that you can kind of reinvent yourself or you're new to the place and everything is on your terms. But when you go back, there is a sense of responsibility and then 
being put to work is basically what I think of it as. So I'm slowly being put to work and having acquired a skill set, an expanded skill set from the different places I've been and lived and bringing those back. And It's interesting because you're just making me think of there was a world literature class that I took and they used to refer to these characters as the been to characters because they'd been to another place but then come back with this sort of new knowledge and, and as you say, maybe some kind of reinvention. So I think that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, this is the question that I don't know if it is a fair question, but if you could provide some details about how visual arts factor into your research. And so I guess I was wondering if your art informs your research or if it's the other way around, does your research inform your art? Or maybe you can't separate the two, but I... Right, no, that's a really good question because this idea of artists and research really is something that I think is pretty new to the academic environment. So when I first started teaching, I was at the Emily Carr University of Art and Design in Vancouver, BC. And so I was the first Indigenous hire there. And I worked there for about three years. And it really was an art school that was then becoming a research institution, right? So people were questioning, well, how is my work research like we don't really think of our practice when you're an artist as research in that kind of scientific method way but we are engaged in research ongoing because whether it's investigating materials or ideas it's absolutely there there's a very certain amount of rigor that happens around it and one of the things that I found actually helped me early on because when you're an artist especially if you're a young artist or making things as a young person in the world you might have one idea and then you go on to another idea and another idea, or you jump around a little bit. And for myself, I found that I had such a vast range of interests that I would look at it and I would think, does it look like the same person made these? Mm -hmm. So when I moved to New York, I really wanted to step back a little and really think about making a visual connection across. Instead of jumping ahead so far that people couldn't follow, how could I kind of guide people along? And one of the things that helps for me was just to think of it as a science experiment, right? So if I introduce too many variables, then um, how can I follow my own train of thought? So maybe if I'm working with industrial felt, I can work with that as a material and think about the material. And then I'm adding a jingle, so a sound to it. So jingles, and then I'm wearing it. So how does my movement affect the sound? So I do one thing, and then next time I might do something a little bit more subtly different. Maybe next time my movements, my movement vocabulary stays the same, but then I'm working with a musician. Now, I'm not a musician, so now I can say, well, they are, so they're going to think about sound in a different way. I've also worked with dancers, so... I had a, a show at the power plant called The One Who Keeps On Giving, where I worked with my family. And it was incredible because I had this, I call it a jingle spiral, but it's basically a circle that you wear like a poncho. So there's a head flap in the middle where your head can poke out. And then it's a spiral. It spirals to the center where your head pops out. And when I made it, I took some photos at it. It was kind of heavy. And I thought, do I want to do a performance around this? And I realized, yeah, I don't want to do a performance where I couldn't think of what I would do with this ridiculous jingle spiral. Like, and there was this whole idea behind the spiral too. But what happened for that performance at the power plant and that video that I ended up making was because I was working with my family, I asked my sister Deanne, who's a competition Palo dancer, and she had participated and she said, I will, but I don't 
want to wear my dance outfit. And I said, that's no problem. Why don't I make something? And then I said, wait a minute. Why don't you wear the jingle spiral? And I was so excited about it. And she's like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. So she was also nine months pregnant. In the video, you can't really see it, but she was nine months pregnant dancing in this jingle spiral, which totally like covered her. And it was incredible because her movement vocabulary as a traditional fancy shawl dancer, she often would have to hold her arms up to hold the shawl up. So here she is wearing this jingle spiral and she's holding her arms up so that you could see the spiral and she's circling and churning and the movement that she made through the space. And because she's so used to being at a powwow and dancing with other dancers and team dancing and all of that, that she was able to navigate the space like her awareness of that space was so great. So in the video, you can see her moving around, like she's just setting the rhythm, moving around and navigating me as I'm holding this like painting throughout the video. But yeah, so then if you go and write about that, it becomes another layer where I can break down what's happening within that work as a sort of research around choreography, dance, kinship. And there's so many academics who are doing tons of incredible work right now around Indigenous knowledge, but the connection with, with art isn't necessarily made. I did a conference at the Museum of Art and Design in New York, and it was called Crossroads Native Feminism and Art. And for that, we brought together Indigenous feminists with artists. And it was really because we have all of these Native women, Native-identifying femme, non-binary artists who are making incredible work and all this massive research around Indigenous feminisms, but it wasn't being connected, even in any kind of exhibition. So it was a way to bring these two groups together. So I think that we're really looking at a lot of different institutions and artists are beginning to hold up the space where we're right there too. And let's see what that looks like. And I think you're raising such a good point because I think it's true that say if you're a writer, a lot of times there's a lot of research that would go into work before someone's working on a book or, you know, something. But I don't think people always make that connection that if you're, say, a visual artist or a performance artist, that you're necessarily doing that same kind of research. But of course, your your work is informed by something. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually, I was just reading this incredible English journal from... 2016. I'm slowly catching up here. Uh, The guest editors were Eve Tuck and Karen Ruckley, who are two faculty members here at U of T downtown campus. And there's an article on Native feminisms in motion. And here I think is a really great reference to a sort of research by Sandy Grande from a book called Red Pedagogy, the Methodology. So I'll just read it here where she says, my research is about ideas in motion, that is, ideas as they come alive within and through peoples, communities, events, texts, practices, policies, institutions, artistic expressions, ceremonies, and rituals. I engage them in motion through a process of active and close observation wherein I live with try on and wrestle with ideas. So I think that, you know, that might go against our idea of what researches, but I think that's very much in keeping with how also I view my own work, that it really is a working through and 
in doing so, a validating of a personal experience as well, like a body knowledge. And I like the idea of sort of working through all the different ideas that you have and adding to it as you go along. Yeah, yeah I'm actually really excited right now because I'm working towards an exhibition at The Herd. And I'm working with this incredible poet, Natalie Diaz, who teaches poetry at the University of Arizona and putting together an issue of Red Ink where we're looking at language. So often in performance, I don't speak because I'm so focused on doing. I'm slowly looking at that. But then to work with someone who is all about voice, right? All about a performance that's based in the speech act. But The Herd, is that based in Arizona? Oh, yes. It's in Phoenix, Arizona. It's in December. I'm looking forward to it because it'll be winter here. Get to go somewhere warm. It's a good plan. I did watch the video that you were referencing. I was going to say, I want to link to that as well once we post this because I just thought it was so interesting. And I liked even the fact that you're using this felt material. You know, it's interesting because that exhibition, the one who keeps on giving, it, it went to multiple venues. And for each venue, I would do a performance in the gallery at the opening. And that was really based on who was living in the area. I think the first time I did it, the gallery was a little, they're like, oh yeah, this artwork really is yours. Like you really are interacting with it. Cause I would pick things up. I had like a, a felt snowmobile helmet and I put it on my head or the chandelier I made, I'd swing it in the space and just really show that everything in there had other dimensions and could move. Yeah. And then in moving our understanding of it also changed. And then our relationship to it changed. And then perhaps your relationship to me would change too and thinking that oh yes an artist made this a person made this what what's going on yeah. right i liked the felt walkman oh, yeah. <laughs> that's probably of our time right and in the way that especially now i really get it the way that technologies become obsolete and move in different times what i love about the walkman though because i have used it quite a bit or frequently i return to it is how durable it is like you can pick up a walkman today and it will still work if you have a tape I heard you say in an interview that it's important for art to have a space to sit so that you can sit and visit with it and think about it in certain ways. And also that it's good to see things in different kinds of ways, including some of the performance pieces you have created in different spaces to craft a new story around the performance every time. So you did touch on this a little bit already, but I just wonder if you could talk about how your program of research at UTM will help you to craft a new story. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, first of all, UTM is doing exactly that. It's created a dedicated position. So it's showing commitment, right? And it's giving space right away through the CRC and the support of that and the on campus that will physically have a space together. So I guess you could take it from that kind of view as well that it's not just a surface thing, that it's something that's going a little deeper. It's an incredible thing to be able to be here. And there's so much potential around what can happen and what we can learn from each other. And I am interested about how you got interested in this area of art and research in the first place. And I, I understand your mom was an artist, a visual artist, but I just, I wonder about your path in art, uh, whether it started out always visual or um, if it was performance art, or if you could talk a little bit about that. So my parents met at Sheridan College. 
I don't know how much I'm fated to be an artist, but um, yeah, definitely. My mom was painting. She did a lot of oil painting, and my dad was in the first graduating class I shared in college in new media. They saw each other in the hall, and that was that. They followed each other around and just stuck together and went on to have four children. So there wasn't so much art making later on. I mean, my dad's now a, a master boat builder, and they moved back to be close to my mom's community, which came with a different lifestyle and different options around art. So I suppose I'm in many ways picking that back up around art making in my family. But I definitely, I was the student who my teachers were telling me, you're an artist. I didn't know what that meant. And then finally in high school, my last year, I dropped calculus. <laughs> I mean, I was okay at it, but I realized I was going to make a tough decision. And I was going to commit to art, whatever that was. And I came here and I was so excited to be able to focus on it and have just been going since. It's taken me a while to, as I think it does a lot of people, to figure out what type of artist. There's so many different ways to be an artist in the world, but I definitely like to make things. And I think that even in those early days, what I was making really pointed to where I am now. I think my last year of school, in my undergrad, I was making objects out of paper. Mm-hmm. So I was already working with fiber and textile and sewing, yeah. which, you know, now I'm basically doing the same thing only with industrial felt. Yeah. You know, we have a saying that I grew up with, which is that in a in my community anyway, on my reserve was that basically everyone is an artist. Mm-hmm. Like you're surrounded by musicians and artists. And a lot of my aunts made quill boxes. Yeah. This is something that's just fairly familiar. My mom... I knew she would draw and write and do all kinds of things constantly. And my aunt was also, you know, art collector coming to look at her paintings. Mm -hmm. So these are things that happened. I don't know that I really understood the logistics. So I think that's a pretty common thing. But this idea of separating art as a very working for a market, Mm -hmm. an art market, is another kind of understanding. Going to New York has helped me understand what that is about which is a whole other thing as well. I appreciate that sort of notion of creativity because it can come in many forms. It's everywhere and applies to so many different parts of our lives. And so this is, I think, a really broad question, but I do like to ask it of anyone that I'm interviewing is, what do you feel is the biggest impact of your work? I suppose that depends how I would think of impact. I mean, there's so many multi-layers to that. What I'm really interested in are just regular, everyday people. Because I really believe in art, I really believe that art has a way to directly impact people before you even think about it, right? You feel it. And there's such freedom in it, such possibility and hope. And I want to use that to connect with all kinds of people. Then that's something New York, it's all about people. And being in education, working at UTM, that's about people as well. That's about another, you know, looking at the generation that's coming up next. In the Indigenous community, we talk a lot about youth, that youth are really the hope of the future. And one of the ideas around that, or how I come to understand it, is that as adults, we're really set in what we're doing, we get distracted with all these other things. But youth can really have a picture of what's ahead and they're open to things. Although some may not consider post-secondary education being youth, but it really is at a stage where everything is in front and 
especially right now more than ever, looking at the state of the world, the climate, the environment, that there's now more than ever, we really need to be thinking creatively about how we want to find solutions, how we want to move forward. And as you're saying, I think they're young adults, but minds are still being turned on, though. Absolutely. And even if I look back at what I was thinking when I was 19, you know, or when I was in my art classes with my art professors, even now, not so much has changed. Those values are still there. What I have now is the benefit of experience that can help me. But the vision and the thoughts that I was having, the connections I was making, ended up being very much greatly so influenced by my professors who I had. Coming up, Global Perspectives. Maria talks about her international impact in the art world and reflects on her return to UTM. And she has a few words of wisdom for the student cohort who are also embarking on their own new academic path on campus along with her. This new season of the podcast is focused on global perspectives, looking at UTM researchers who have global impact or do work or collaborations around the world. In the course of their work, and you fall very nicely into this category because I know you, as you mentioned, spent nine years in Brooklyn, um, but also you've had impact abroad and internationally. And so I'm just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit about some of your international and your U.S. collaborations? Yeah, I mean, right now I've been really focused more so on the Canadian-U.S. border in terms of international. You know, it's interesting to think about what international even means if you're native, because there's so many nations and there's a whole history of nation-to-nation relations ongoing. So in terms of international, that's really where I've been focused Because growing up in Canada, I thought I had ideas about the U.S. because I watched TV, right? But then when I got there, I realized, no, this is a whole different country. And even when I moved there, it was a different moment. Obama was there and I was like, I want to be here. I want to see what's happening. I want to feel this love that's going on. And then everything since. It really is important to travel and get out there in the world. But... That has also given me other opportunities to go to Paris, to go to Venice. I remember in Venice being there with a group of Native artists from the U.S., Kelly Mashburn, who's a photographer, and Marcella Ernst, who's a video artist, and sitting there, the three of us, and being like, here we are together, sitting on the grass in Venice, in this nice little park, thinking about being Native and being outside of that context. So I think that... You know, you think in your own country, people don't really have an idea of who you are. But outside of that, there's even less so because they're really going on representations that are put out. They're looking at media, they're looking at books and who is controlling that. So there is a need to take control and think about who's writing those narratives and to represent a lot of that internationally. My husband, Jason, he's Chiricahua, Apache and Mexican from Texas. We collaborate as a duo, and we call ourselves Native Art Department International. And Jason talks a lot about this idea. I think he had an instructor who's also an elder who said, no matter where in the world you are, if you're Native, there's someone speaking on your behalf. So that's something that, you know, we really think a lot about when we're out in the world, that we're often the only, and what does it mean when you're the only? 
and how you carry yourself and how people relate to you and what your responsibility is then when you return. And I'm just thinking how different your work would be received in some of these other international places, like you said, like Venice. And because uh, I mean, obviously in Canada or in the US, there is a different relation to some of the work that you're doing. Absolutely. And I think that's what's so great about traveling as an artist and having exhibitions in different places. You have that opportunity to connect and it is really then if people aren't aware of, you know, your knowledge or expertise or your cultural background, whatever it is, then you're afforded that through the medium, the material, through the aesthetic, that then that becomes your point of contact. Yeah. So then people can look at it. And especially with my work, because I'm working with industrial felt, that's a material that has been in Europe highly associated with another individual, um, another artist, Joseph Boys. So when I go there, there's all of that baggage that comes. So in a way, I'm able to, if I'm feeling oppressed by this baggage of like my own history of colonization as an Indigenous woman, then when you go to Europe, I might have been a very different person or used a very different material if I had had been from Europe. So it's really interesting when you start to make these connections. I mean, of course, I know who he is. I know of his work, but it is very different in North America where you might have access to artists, a different kind of artist. So for me to sew is another kind of, I'm like, this material's great for sewing. It's super forgiving. I need to start working in felt. <laughs> I can't sew. It's funny because it's one of the few materials that I can work with and not feel ethically compromised because of things like hide or bark, but allows me ways of making that I'm very much familiar with and just adapt them. And it also straddles a space where it's the felt that we think of around craft and then also you know, high art because of this history with modernism. And I know I'm deliberately mashing things up. I'm trying, I'm showing a lot of innovation, experimentation. I don't like to stick to one place. I like the freedom of being an artist for me is the same as being a native person in the world that I, of course, can do and use different material. Although I do culturally kind of guide what I do. I mean, I do make decisions that have cultural sensitivity to them so there's that which that layer is mostly appreciated by community members mm -hmm. depending who the audience is it has many different it's codified in different ways you're an alumna of UTM uh, having graduated from the art and art history program in 1999 and so while you are returning though likely to a much different campus because I know UTM's changed a lot since then and also in this new role as artist professor teacher and a CRC but there's also a lot of new students who are starting along with you and so I'm just wondering what your approach is to this new undertaking in this new role and also if you have some tips for some of the students who are starting out along with you. Mm, yeah, you know, it's a very special time for me this year because this class will be the class that I'm starting with, right? Like we're starting together and that's pretty incredible. It's also interesting enough, so my son just graduated high school. So he, my husband and I were realizing this, he's the same age as the students who I will be, many of the students. So there's that as well. The best thing I can think of or what comes to mind is I think that with school or anything, any job, it often feels like work, something you have to push through, something you have to labor through to get a reward, whether that's a paycheck or whatnot. And 
What I try to do with my own practice, I've switched to and work on is my choices are driven by my interests and my passions so that that's what's keeping me going. So that would be my best advice is just pay attention, you know, pay attention to what your body's telling you, what you're thinking, what's attracting you and let that also guide you because we make the decisions who we are, how we want to be in the world, how we want to live our lives. And at the end of the day, we're the ones who live that life. You can't blame anyone else for the choices you make. You just have to learn, grow, move on. You know, it sounds so cliche. Live your passion. Move forward responsibly. I totally get what you're saying. I think sometimes say you're embarking on writing an essay for the first time in like a university class. You can be passionate about it, but also there's a lot of fear and... Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Well, you know, I'm from such a small town. Like, I really was a country mouse you know like I really am this you know I don't know how I ended up in New York I was just wide-eyed the whole time you know I'm so curious about the world I just go someone asked me once I said has anyone ever told you no and I thought well you know I'm pretty sure people have given me that impression that it wasn't a good idea and I still did it. And what is it that made me think I could do it, that I was capable? So having that belief in yourself and then also knowing when and how to be resourceful. So I think this generation is so good with looking things up, but it's not just looking things up. It's the following through, finding people and getting that support around the essay. Like, oh, maybe someone needs to edit it for me before I hand it in. So I think it's important to be generous with ourselves, give ourselves time and support and care when we put things out there so that we're not just like running from thing to thing crazy you know that's a hard way to live I agree time to take a breath and like you say enjoy just living that moment I was having a flashback to my first year here at UTM I lived on campus I would go to class in my pajamas sometimes you know like the whole thing (laughs) all of that and I remember People who were in the same program as me, they would say, Maria, you're so happy. Why are you smiling all the time? Like, why are you so happy? Like, there is something up with that. And I realized I was just couldn't believe how fortunate I was to be someplace where I could study, do what I wanted to do. It was such a dramatic change from living in the bush up by Perry Sound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was in the big city learning art with other people who liked art too I wasn't the only like freak or person doing something sounds pretty joyful existence yeah Yeah. finding your people right find your people yeah Yeah. I tell that to my kids all the time sometimes you don't find them in grade school and high school you have to wait a little bit or you find them in areas like I definitely found some of my people in New York so that was tough to leave but they're still there and there's more people here thank you so much Maria thanks I would like to thank everyone for listening to today's episode of View to View. I would like to thank my guest, Maria Hupfield, for telling us about her art and research in UTM's Departments of Visual Studies and English and Drama. I would like to thank the Office of the Vice Principal of Research for their support. Lastly, and as always, thank you to the Toonie Tim Lane for his tracks and support. Thank you.